Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And with us today, returning to once again chat about magic, it's none other than Abraka Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Glad to be here. Now, different kind of magic this time. Yes, last time we had you on talking about Magic the Gathering, but today we are gathering a very different kind of magic. And what kind is that? That's the kind of magicians uh, instead of wizards. I guess that's not clear. (laughs) (laughs) Magician books for learning the card tricks and such. And what brought you down this dark magical path? corrupted you yeah well like most corrupting influences uh it started with television (laughs) i watched a lot of world's greatest magic i think is the name of it it was on abc family a lot i think (laughs) and i don't know i just something about a performance that had cool like secrets like there was a second aspect to it and it was really varied too And then I got like a bunch of magic kits, which culminated me learning some magic, but not really understanding the presentation value. (laughs) I did a talent show in like first grade with my best friend as my assistant and nobody could see what I was doing because the tricks were like kid sized. Oh no. And the only words I uttered were, and for my next trick... So I didn't really stick with magic too long after that, but I then kind of got back into it in college and again recently, like in the past six or seven years, and I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole. So what started you collecting books of magic? When I first started getting back into magic, you can't copyright or trademark like a trick method. Oh. I'm not a lawyer (laughs) and I don't remember the correct terminology. But my understanding is if the underlying method is available, you can't copyright that. The actual show and presentation is marketable and distinct. So a lot of tricks are marketed the same. (laughs) And there's like a saying that I discovered too late, which is if you want to find, you know, a good trick, look in an old book. I started looking into what kinds of books are the classics and started realizing like, hey, a lot of these, like there's not much to a lot of these tricks. It's just a lot of little clever iterations and interesting presentations and new ways to approach things. And then I started realizing how you know difficult it was to find certain books. And every time I pulled on a thread, it just kept getting longer. I found another tangle and it was just kind of interesting. And I'm very curious and it hurts to not be able to you know, find a lot of these books too. There's like a puzzle in like proving your worth and trying to find even the name of the books that you're looking for sometimes. When you say proving your worth, is there a council of magicians you must approach to learn even the titles of these tomes? Yeah, so not really, no. Okay. I mean, there's, there's plenty of magic books, but anything published, you know, after, I don't know, I'm going to say an arbitrary date, like 1950s, you get to start getting a lot of repeats. And I feel like we're at an era where it's like Ouroboros, and there are a lot of books coming out now about like stagecraft and the theory of magic and, you know, just dropping the pretense of teaching you any kind of magic tricks. It's just selling to people who want to improve their performance. But yeah, finding the really good books they're either like old and obscure and if nobody's mentioned them in recent you know memory or done a trick from them nobody knows about it or to look for it and magic is secretive by nature so people tend to hoard you know the good secrets and only let you in on them if they think that you're not going to ruin them which you know seems kind of gatekeepy but to an extent magic is like a really fragile bubble <laughs> You can make a really impressive bubble, but all it takes is like, you know, one bad performance to kind of ruin it for everyone for a while. Like if Chris Angel goes out there and does a really spectacular type of trick, 
it's going to make people wary of doing that trick for a bit because it's, you know, the performance has affected the reputation of that trick or like people have, you know, seen it done and know how it's done now and it's not as appealing. And there are some tricks that are just really, really special and good and difficult to perform except in like specific situations. So it's not worth exposing that. Like it's not a capitalistic enterprise. You're not trying to sell the most amount of books technically. You're just trying to put out some magic into the world and hope that the people that carry it on with them do a good job. So what you were saying earlier about these kind of lost tomes, like books that either haven't been mentioned or were kept secret by too many people and oops, everyone who knew it has died. That does make it sound kind of like you can accidentally stumble upon forgotten knowledge, just like in a real Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Sounds like. No, it's it's really it's really cool. And one of the things that makes it more like a treasure hunt is that really good magic books don't get to secondhand markets, really. I mean, some do, obviously. You can go on eBay and pay. An average good out-of-print magic book is probably average $200. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it is correct. I, I can sign on to that. I, I've been in that market. Oh. Yeah, the cheaper end is 60 to $90. That's like a steal. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like a steep cliff, too, because then you can get like stacks of magic books that are absolute trash for 20 bucks or I mean a lot of magic books are aimed at kids too so you, there's a lot of kids books and I mean I have that one bible magic book that I found in a thrift <laughs> uh, thrift shop like there's a lot of like niche products but and that's for magic books printed in the past like 50 years oh anything older than that it starts getting a lot worse or the conditions are a lot worse but that's the consumer market or the secondhand consumer market, I guess. When you say conditions get worse, do you mean the condition of the books found or just how high the prices get and how that kind of locks people out of participating? Oh yeah, for sure that. Like the biggest gatekeeping of magic is, you know, money. The more money you spend on a trick. The famous example is you don't have to be a good magician to be an illusionist, like do a big stage presentation. Because if you spend $10,000 on a prop, it's doing most of the work for you. You're just kind of hiring the dancers to do most of the work and dance around while you show off your cool costume or whatever and do magic moves. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> magic is just like tends to be you have to have a lot of disposable income. Just because even to get in the door, it's getting harder to find lo local groups, so you have to travel far, and you got to spend good money to get actually good content. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll just be spending like $10, $15 on tricks that are probably rehashes of what you've already done. And then people just hoard books. Like, again, it doesn't reach the secondhand market because it all gets eaten up in private auctions. And by private auctions, I mean, like, somebody either donates their collection or passes away and their family Googles, like, the nearest magic group or knows the magic group from the their participation. And then there's, like, usually a private auction held within. Sometimes you'll find them online. I think Dia sent me a couple. So I was joking when we set up this interview that being the kind of nerd I am, I would be making nonstop Jonathan Strange and Mitchell Norrell references. But I'm starting to wonder how much inspiration Susanna Clark got from the actual real life magician community for her fantasy magicians doing real magic because, yeah, that's a very familiar scenario where all of the magic books are being bought up in private auctions for exorbitant <laughs> prices. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> I guess it is like outside of, you know, old secret societies that don't really have any actual secrets like Masons or whatever. Magic is just like that too, but a lot less serious. <laughs> <laughs> 
lot fewer conspiracy theories. Yeah, but magicians that are like eccentric and tend to hoard a lot of stuff, I can't be too mad at them because they tend to have really fun houses and like displays for it. Like there's one called the Magic Barn and it's just, it's actual like barn that was retrofitted as like a magic clubhouse and it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. They have a, a an automatic playing violin. What? Oh, oh, that is fun. Yeah, functioning. And the Magic Castle has reportedly has a piano in one of the lounge areas that uh, if you audibly request a song, it'll start playing it. That's fucking magical. Yeah, and and this is like kind of. When I first got into magic, I was kind of on the pen and teller side where like you should expose tricks, but it's a hard line to toe because it does ruin some of the magic setting up these like magical environments and, and tricks and stuff. But some of the, you know, trash tricks should be spoiled anyway. And that's why a lot of magic books are cheap, except for the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> It's really interesting to me that, like, from my limited experience, who you know, like, social capital is really the defining factor about whether or not you get to access these. Because there is actually, in the city, a sizable magician collection that has just been sort of pinging around from whoever knows to ask. Uh, by pinging around, I do mean, like, from generation to generation. So do you mean, like, a collection of magical books in New Bedford that has been inherited only by select individuals? Yes. Um, yeah, a gentleman passed away, and the entirety of the collection kind of just went to the first person who knew to ask. Oh. Yeah, sometimes it does get dumped that way, and I think the auction that you sent me, D, that was local-ish. I got a lot of books from them because there wasn't a lot of interest in the auction. Nobody really knew about it, and nobody's really interested in books sometimes it's, it can be a hard sell it's weird yeah and also like a magician was just recently telling me a like horror story about a magician from new bedford or like our area that passed away and his family didn't know what his collection was and i think it all went to the trash and it was oh, like no that's terrible a lot of magic history no. and that's the shame of it you know the magic club in boston used to hang out at ray goulet's magic shop and he had a little museum in the back and when he passed away that museum kind of went to private collectors i don't think anyone actually saw that auction because he was like a famous famous magician like las vegas performers probably bid on his stuff and now it's all over the country at least somewhere Damn. so yeah joining a magic group does seem like it could be helpful to get your mitts on these books yeah for sure although that shouldn't be the only reason you join no there's a, there's a lot of value to it but it is one of the few ways to learn about lectures because that's another aspect of collecting magic books, because magic books aren't always just books. Lecture notes tend to be among the more sought-after pieces, because they're kind of in a weird place of ephemera and, you know, extremely limited prints. It's like you had to be at the lecture for some performers. Some of them make them available online, increasingly so, but a lot of old magicians, you know, when they would go on lecture tours teaching other magicians, they couldn't sell them the stuff that's already in their books, and they didn't want to. So they would come up with, you know, either really specific routines or subject matters that they wanted to get into, and they would sell those after the, like a band pitching CDs at the end of their show. Those are also hard to find and even harder to archive. Like there are a lot of organizations that are doing the job of collecting and at least sourcing. There's one called the Conjuring Credits 
if you look for a trick, they'll try to list all of the books that that trick is mentioned in. So you can kind of find the lineage of it or the source. And then Conjuring Out's Research Center in New York has like a, a library of magic books and tends to focus on archiving and preserving older books and lecture notes too. Well, that's really cool. I didn't know that there was like an ongoing archiving effort. I never even considered lecture notes as a possibility. Just like truly, again, I know I keep making this comparison, but it feels like breaking into a wizard's tower to like steal his research. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and his selfies too, because magic posters were big and still are like a big market. I think it's kind of dying down a little bit. David Blaine has some like old stylized posters of himself in the like old style. And some people do really collect those, but those are also, you can get those pretty cheap sometimes. Yeah, actually my, in my introduction into the whole magician realm was that I love magician posters and the really unique style of artwork that goes along with it. Yeah, no, it's excellent. I especially like it when it intersects with Art Nouveau. Yes. There's a book that I referenced for some of this, uh, Magic, 1400s to 1950s by Jim Steinmeier and some others. It's one of those coffee table books, so most of it is scans of those posters. So I was curious, has your experience of this market been the same as mine in that one of the things that I learned the hard way is that a lot of times the titles don't really advertise what you are expecting I mostly do occult when I'm looking for magic stuff, and I rub up against this a lot because the word conjuring and sharp and confidence man comes up a lot, and they rarely ever say magic. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, the older the book is, the more likely magic or legerdemain is going to appear there. But in researching for this, typing old magic books is going to bring you a lot of like occult stuff. You can't really type in magician books. <laughs> I don't think the text parses that very well because nobody says that. I think it's it's more that you just don't know the titles either <laughs> sometimes. Like it's not like HarperCollins or if they're still a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> like puts on like a publishing tour for, for any books that come out. And they're always like extremely limited print runs, at least initially, and then they'll bring it back if it turns out to be a classic. So it's a book that starts out limited edition and then is sold to an extremely private, secretive audience whose own family members may not know they own this book and that it is desirable to other members of this extremely secretive society. Yep. Which feels like the perfect recipe for holy shit this book is five hundred dollars yeah yeah <laughs> it's tough like obviously the conjuring arts research center and stuff are gonna and private collectors are gonna have an easier time than me preserving you know these books but if i don't have one of these books and i can find it i try to pick it up just because i know it's gonna be so difficult to find it again and when i find them in secondhand stores like it doesn't even matter how bad it is i'll still buy it <laughs> Just because I never know. It's kind of like magic cards sometimes too. Like you'll just, a book will explode in popularity for some reason because something comes back into style or, you know, somebody mentions it on their magic blog. Oh man, magic blogs. <laughs> magic blog, didn't even think of that. Yeah, one of the books actually that I've been chasing for quite some time for personal reasons is a book that seems to have simply been titled Hanky Panky. <laughs> oh, is it Sanky Panky? <laughs> it might be. I actually, I've never seen the book in person. I've just seen listings. Um, It's Hanky Panky or Easy and Difficult Tricks. I think I might have just 
us picked that one up recently. Oh no! What you got? Hanky. <laughs> All right, I gotta, I gotta handle that baby. I gotta see that. Yeah, if it's Sanky Panky by Richard Kaufman. Oh no, this one's by Kremer. Oh okay, then never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the search for Hanky Panky continues. Oh good, there's two of them. Oh my god, if I find it, we're gonna unite them and we're, and we're gonna bring Houdini back from the dead. Yeah, we've got to re- unite the two keys. <laughs> It's going to get him back from the Shadow Realm. So, Daniel, what surprised you most about collecting magic books? I mean, the price was definitely a shock. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone listening can relate. Once I waddled through that, like, you know, first gate, it's like an uncharted ocean where people have pieces of the map, but they'll only give you even smaller pieces of it and kind of have to, like, befriend them or, you know, find another source and piece everything together yourself. Or, you know, sometimes somebody will mention a trick and then you'll ask what book it's from, and if you're lucky, they'll know and tell you. <laughs> All the more reason to join your local magician society. <laughs> yeah, you'll just never find some of this stuff unless you talk to people. Yeah, I guess that's another thing. Like, it's one of the few hobbies I've encountered where information is so closely guarded. It's not so much you know, tricks themselves. Magicians trade tricks all the time, you know. Sometimes you'll perform it for them and they'll show you and other times they'll tell you where to find it. Yeah, I guess how insular it is too. It's definitely surprising how many of these books are only sold at auctions or like these weird (laughs) underground sales that you have to hear about through the grapevine. Magic magazines and lecture notes. I didn't realize we're going to be as big of a part of magic history. Magic magazine. Oh yeah, so that's another thing. A lot of magicians have collections of these magazines. One of the magicians that had to move recently gave me a bunch of Portuguese magic magazines because I was the only person that would be able to read them or like that he knows. Oh my god, that's so fucking cool! For some reason, my whole life, I never put together that there might be Portuguese magicians. Oh yeah, there's a big magic scene in Portugal. They even they have their own international brotherhood, but it's like Portuguese centered, <laughs> not Portuguese centered, but like there's already an international brotherhood of magicians. They just independently started one too. <laughs> oh wow! This time it's Portuguese. Very Portuguese thing to do. Yeah, but he had so many other magazines that you know I should have like been able to take more in my car because he was basically I think he had to get rid of them. But those magazines, they're like, to get a digital copy of it, it's like $35 a piece. Holy shit. And it's like probably that or more to get the actual magazine if you're buying it online. But if you know a magician, chances are they're just moldy in the basement. (laughs) And, you know, because that's, you know, been my experience. But yeah, there, there's a lot of useful information in magic books, and I've—I mean, magic magazines—and I've never—I've never been a magazine person. But like, I think every magic organization publishes like a, a journal that is kind of like a mini magazine, and there'll be tricks and articles from magicians. Every retailer has some kind of like inserts that are like mini magic magazines as well. I get the linking ring from International Brotherhood of Magicians every month. All of that stuff is like weird ephemera that, you know, people hoard, forget about, and then nobody really wants to take because it's a lot of stacks of magazines that aren't really easy to store. So, hey, pro tip, we found the one category of magazine that's still worth money. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I actually can't think of any others. Isn't there like one issue of Playboy and then if you're really dedicated, you can just go through any magazine older than 1970 and cut out all the car ads to sell to deeply, deeply fucked up people? That is, yeah, well, don't say that. There's some people who make their whole livings that way. Um, Not just car ads, watch ads. <laughs> 
ads are a huge thing. And yeah, there's multiple people who make their whole living by finding specific ads for people. I'm not down on the people who make their living that way. I am concerned about no one checking the crawl spaces of the people who are buying these things. Oh, they're full of magazines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of this like every aspect of this is a, a heightening treasure hunt. Because you can find these, like, underappreciated magazines that are actually of great, like, social value, if not monetary strictly. And inside those, you might find some sort of, like, long-forgotten trick that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's... My latest quest has been trying to find the... How to make magic tricks that are, you know, easy to do because they're old. And to find a pattern for one of them, I have to find one of these magazines. <laughs> and uh, oh. as far as I know, that's the only place that a pattern was made available. I'm sure it's shared between you know people who make them to improve upon the design and whatever, but I don't know where it's found in books. <laughs> You're living a real life episode of fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> yeah, I guess it's... I don't know that... <laughs> That's the comparison. Or like Card Captor Sakura. It's, it's just like, we've got one piece. We got to find the piece that, like, <laughs> my man's like Inuyasha finding the Shikon jewels. Why are they all anime? Because that's what I watch. <laughs> so which books in your collection would you say are your favorites? Ooh. So my favorite book is very stupid. It's called Limb Tricks. It's just a book of like children's riddles and puzzles and tricks and like bar bets, but they're all in the form of limericks. Oh, that rules. <laughs> I think that's really charming. Uh, Richard Kaufman is one of the like magic advisors for the book, and he's just treasure trove of. He's written so many magic books, a lot of books on math and science uh, from that angle. So I have that book, but in terms of stuff, I'm more proud of just like having. <laughs> A collection of the Jinx magazine, Hardbound, which is increasingly hard to find. The Jinx was a magazine that was published by a mentalist, had a limited print run, and it has a very cute logo of a cat as a header. Aww. It's a slog to get through, but it's it's one of those magazines that, you know, kind of survived. It was, it was well known enough to get a bound book copy of it. <laughs> Uh, and then I have a copy of Greater Magic, which is one of the earlier tomes of magic. How early are we talking? Like, I think 1920s. I mean, that's Houdini-esque right there. Yeah. It's not like in super great condition, but it is one of the older books in my collection. I think probably the oldest. Very cool. Is there a book that you are on the hunt for? Do you have like a white whale? I appreciate the implication that Daniel will die trying to find this book. I don't know about anyone else, but that is how I feel about some books. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I might die before I find this book sometimes. Did this book chop off your leg? No. I would chop off my leg to get it, maybe. Okay, that offer's on the table. Don't say that. <laughs> Someone's gonna come a-calling. Now it's like Full Metal Alchemist. How many anime can I compare the situation to? And then you get to be for my next trick I saw off my own leg! Oh, fuck. Being an amputee magician must rule. <laughs> no. Edit that out. So what what is the book that will get you tangled in its um, harpoon lines and dragged down to Leviathan's Deep? Uh, So this is one of those, uh, I fall on the side of history of protecting secrets. When I was doing my research, a lot of it is uh, forum posts. And there's one particular forum that has been around since like, basically looks like a geosite forum unchanged since then. Oh, hell yeah. And there was a great quote by a magician just named John. (laughs) One of you wants to read that. (laughs) From Jay Streif, 
For serious collectors, the rarest are the ones we do not discuss in public forums. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was the most ominous one I found. I don't... That is great. Wow. But yeah, this one's one that I don't want to draw too much attention to because the market for it is even more niche than normal. It's basically a book that is only released to people that... It's basically a proto-Patreon because the magic that he does is not for an audience of more than one, basically. Interesting. So this is this is going to be a mystery because it has to be. Yeah, I mean, it's at the point where like it's come up a couple of times at auction and like by the time that I go to you know pull the trigger, it's gone. It's barely up for a few hours sometimes. Like each book that they've released has had a little bit more availability just because I think their audience has grown, but they do cut off the audience at a certain point. So there's probably only like less than a thousand of these books in the wild, maybe. I'm just speculating because I don't know for sure. But I think based on the amount of subscribers that he cuts it off at, it's probably accurate. Is there a slightly less desirable book that you want that you would be willing to divulge the title of? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of classics that are like modern classics that I've been trying to get. There's a Spanish magician who's really influential called Juan de Mirez. The New York Times, I think, just earlier this year did a, an article about him, and he came up with a really popular stacked deck. I don't think it's much of a secret. There are decks that come in a specific pre-stacked order, and if you memorize that stack, you can perform a miracles that amaze even me because I can't fathom having to memorize an entire deck. <laughs> <laughs> so the book is Juan Tamirez's Mnemonica. It's not that expensive, but they might have even reprinted it. I just haven't noticed. <laughs> But the last time I looked, it was, you know, a $60 book going for double its value. Okay. And just, I'm not going to learn how to memorize the deck. I just kind of want to read it because it's got such... He, he's a great magician. I've seen him perform. He's very entertaining. His tricks are marvelous. But yeah, it's a slog to learn how to memorize a deck. I think in the book, he mentions, like, you have to lock yourself away for a weekend and just do the steps that he describes to try to ingrain it in your memory. Wow. <laughs> devote yourself entirely to this occult practice yeah it's not real magic we swear that's how they get you i think it's more impressive than quote-unquote real magic uh chaos magicians please do not at me <laughs> i mean just by considering added you by the laws of chaos magic they already have so oh like... my god the demiurge it's coming from my ass <laughs> But yeah, this kind of magic is more impressive because it actually produces tangible results. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of others, Derek Delgadio, he just put on a show that you, need, you all need to watch still in and of itself. It's a really spectacular show. And he wrote two books. One is kind of like a pseudo autobiography. And that one's on my list to read. I did get that one. But he has another one that was older and it was a partnership with another magician. And it's called A Secret Has Two Faces. And that one has been not tough to find, but tough to find at a reasonable price because <laughs> it's really out of print and it was a really small print run. Jen Steinmeier is a big name in magic behind the scenes. Like, unless you read about magic a lot, because he has a lot of books about magic, like the one that I mentioned earlier, the coffee table book. He also has another two, Hiding the Elephant is about like stage design uh, for magic. And he has a book about the man who invented the supernatural, Charles Fort. 
but he has a lot of books that are out of print that are about building stage sets and like he works with Penn and Teller and a lot of famous magicians and I'm really interested to see what he has to say about that stuff. Oh yeah. Alright, so I, I, I gotta know because I think this is the touchstone for like literally every person. Bold stance. Does Houdini fascinate you? Where, where is Houdini in your heart? <laughs> Yeah, so Houdini is an interesting character because there's the gut reaction that everyone gets from pop culture. He's the most famous magician, probably most people know, you know, known for crazy escapes. But he takes his name from another magician who kind of inspired him, uh, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, uh, who is a French watchmaker and magician. Oh, what a delectable combination. Yeah. You know, magic is a weird Venn diagram of people who love performing and tricking people and people who love puzzles and making things to trick people. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, my understanding is that Robert Houdin was the first one to make magicians seem more like their audience. So before him, magicians were kind of ran the gamut of how they wanted to introduce themselves. Like, oh, I come from the ancient East or, you know, mystical. They'd make up places or make up personas. But he wanted to, you know, resonate with the audience. So he dressed up like they did. And that's the stereotypical magician that you see in like a clip art magician, you know, top hat, tails, suit, that's all him. And Houdini got his inspiration from him and just got more famous. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal, by the way, to be the original Houdini. Yeah, but I mean, Houdini, uh, he's great at playing all the other things too. Like he knew that people wouldn't come out to see you unless you you risked death. (laughs) Like people wanted to either see you die or see you escape. Well, <laughs> so yeah, A plus uh, Houdini, really cool guy. He also he has a history around here. The place that we are currently meeting, Temple Beth Shalom, there was a famous like medium that he debunked, and then they became friends. And he often, or he visited her a couple of times, and he was Jewish, and he went to that temple. I've been trying to dig more into that history so I can put it in our newsletter, but that's all I got so far. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool, though. All the more reason to join the Magician Society and get those newsletter updates. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. But yeah, um, I think it's important for people to not limit themselves to Houdini because, boy howdy, are there a lot of magicians out there that I'd never heard of before? Yeah, it's fractal. A lot of it is just like hyper-local. Like there are some magicians that contribute to the history of magic, but they don't perform outside like a small area. Just, you know, good tricks kind of find their way around through word of mouth. That's what I do love about going to the magic group and talking with older magicians or ones that have been, you know, in the know for a bit. Every time that they perform a trick, there's almost like a cite your sources if they're teaching it to you. <laughs> and and part of it is like out of a short, like a need for a shorthand. Like if I'm going to explain a trick to you, it's easier if you know the bottom framework so you can just say, oh, it's like getting jiggy with it and then with a twist top on top. You can't say that if you've never learned that trick, so... And then they'll go through, like, the iterations, like, it was published by this, and then it was marketed by this guy as this name, just because magic tricks are so inconsistent to find. Like, a trick that was marketed 20 years ago, you can't buy it again. You just gotta find somebody who knows it. (laughs) Again, you have to seek out the secluded wizard in his distant town. (laughs) Yeah, basically. It's just like, this guy is the only one that knows that spell to make your pinky disappear and then reappear. (laughs) Lots of guys know the disappear part. Only he knows the reappear part. <laughs> yeah, many have tried. 
<laughs> the only one with the cure for small your dick. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like what we've learned today as non-magicians is that there is a very good reason books of magic are kept so secret, some so secret we don't even know their titles, but also... It might be good to get the word out there that even at just the most basic level, magic books exist. And if someone leaves behind a vast collection of books when they die, maybe look into their hobbies and get at least someone to look over the collection and make sure nothing's getting tossed in the garbage that people would potentially pay hundreds of fucking dollars for. Holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. And local magic groups would love to help you with that because basically they might be the only people that know some of that stuff. <laughs> and even still sometimes people will show like a weird doohickey and be like what trick is this from so it can be hard but they'll you know set up an auction for you too or even if it's you know older magic like kids magic books you know we can give those away to kids at our shows too awesome yeah i really like the um the sort of focus this does take on you know get to know people around you get involved locally maybe think less about the bigger picture like you're probably not going to find the signed houdini biography but you might find something really cool for your area if you take the time to look and talk to people you might be the only other portuguese speaking guy in the magic group and inherit all of the portuguese (laughs) magic (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean be a part of history helping preserve it there's a wealth of knowledge in the magic community that is just falling through the cracks and that's you know popular stuff you know sometimes not even local interest stuff that definitely is probably getting overlooked the dare i say arcane knowledge yes Yeah, there's some there's such a like a mystical sexy vibe that this all has. You know, I think we're going to get people interested in magic through that that aura alone. Yeah, I hope so. It's it's a cool club to be a part of. Become a magician. Become a wizard. <laughs> and if you don't want to be one, you go check out the shows they're putting on. Enjoy a wizard. Yeah, magic is one of those weird arts that can only exist with other people. I can't fool myself with my magic. I have to fool another person. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to put it. <laughs> Come and get tricked by me. (laughs) But it's fun. It's fun to be tricked. (laughs) Is there anything else you desperately wish to make sure people know about magic books after listening to this podcast? Yeah, if you want to get into magic, there are plenty of books that are still in print and readily accessible. (laughs) So it, it is not as inaccessible as I'm making it sound. These are just for books that have since gone out of print. Join a magic group for sure. They'll help you because it's definitely a dark cave to kind of find your way in alone. You need your very own Gandalf to guide you through the cave and then (laughs) die in the cave and then come back when you least expect it. The prestige! The prestige! Man, we went this whole time only making one of those jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in itself, that was the prestige. (laughs) Hey-o! Thank you so much for joining us, Daniel. That was a blast. Yeah. Happy to talk about magic anytime. Go check out your local magic show. Meet some wizards. Hang out. Yeah. The International Brotherhood of Magicians and the Society of American Magicians are the two that you'll probably find. Hell yeah. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varian the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!